Piers Cunningham, our COVID-19 reporter here for Peninsula Talks. Piers, good morning. Morning, Brendan. Let's start with our numbers for the day. 996 cases, but the 14-day trend is kind of looking good. We're staying below that 1,000 mark. And uh, yesterday, I think we recorded the lowest daily number since September. So it does seem to be trending down. The number of people in hospital also trending down. 357 people reported in hospital as we sit on 87% fully vaccinated, getting very close to that 90% mark. Could even happen later this week or on the weekend. 92.3% have had first dose. Nationally, 82.1% fully vaccinated now, 89.7% on first dose. And once we get to that 90%, we're going to be fully liberated. We're going to be running around like mad. What's going to happen? <laughs> well, that's right. So one of the things that's noticeable at the moment, I'm trying to find a restaurant in uh, the city, actually amongst all the demonstrations on Saturday afternoon. And it was, there were plenty open, but uh, very tight number limitations. And so really to get any, in anywhere, you needed a, a prior booking you know, from, from several days prior. So lots of people wanting to get out and about, Plenty of interest in shopping and uh, and uh, and experiencing the wonderful restaurants that abound in Melbourne. The number of regulations because of the uh, social distancing uh, that applies in this 80% era that we're in at the moment. Uh, that's that's going to change when we get to 90%. So it will be easier to do more things, and let's hope that sporting events and uh, that sort of thing are going to open up more gym gym limitations, all the sort of things which which uh, involve higher densities of people they are going to be relaxed further once we get to 90%. Liberation, I can feel it in my bones, uh, Piers. Liberation (laughs) is here. That's right. And I was just going to say, you know, the thing about all this is that people are having to adjust to handling the pandemic themselves instead of relying on, you know, the nanny state to sort of lock you down or prescribe what you need to do to be safe or or not, as the case may be, increasingly you're going to be dealing with this this yourself. And as we open up, it is expected by experts and and, uh, epidemiologists that there will be surges in cases. It's expected because of of the closer proximity that people have and because of this opening up that we're wanting to do desperately, that business wants to happen, uh, that everyone wants to get uh, moving and get back to some kind of normality, a COVID normal, if you like, to coin a phrase. One of the tools that you have is rapid antigen testing. There have been a lot of cases through school kids popping up on the peninsula. I can tell you that as a parent that there are quite a few that we know about. And rapid antigen testing is great because if you don't have any symptoms yourself and you don't want to go into a a lockdown situation, a self-imposed lockdown for safety reasons to protect your kids, colleagues and friends then rapid antigen testing is actually a really good way of screening yourself. It's not a diagnostic tool. It doesn't confirm or deny that you have COVID, but it is a way of screening yourself. So if you've got no symptoms, you're a casual contact of of someone who may or may not have been infectious when you were exposed to them. Rapid antigen testing is a good tool for that. And as I mentioned last week, they're actually doing it now in conjunction with PCR testing in Rosebud. And you can go along to uh, the testing centre there and you can get a free rapid antigen test along with a free PCR test, if you like, or you could just choose to have a free rapid antigen test and they'll text you the, the answer within about 20 minutes of doing that test. So you get a much faster result. You don't have to wait for 24 hours. You don't have to isolate and have the the limit on your life. And I believe because of these outbreaks that have been happening 
particularly through school kids who are unvaccinated, so talking about people under the age of 12, we are seeing very big queues to use those facilities in Rosebud. So this is to be expected. It's nothing to be afraid of. This is a, this is a very, still remains a, a very infectious, nasty disease, but we do have tools to help ourselves. You can buy a rapid antigen test kit from, uh, I think, from Chemist Warehouse. You can, they'll send it a 10-pack to you for $100, including shipping, or you can buy them from a, from a chemist. Pharmacies have them for about, I think, a five-pack is about $56 or $57. So, you know, these are tools that will enable you to take control of, of uh, your response to the pandemic, and you, then you don't have to rely on, on uh, governments to do that for you. Yeah, well, speaking to a couple of parents of school kids on the Mornington Peninsula, there have been a couple of uh, notifications, of course, in the last few days. Seems to be getting in and amongst the kids as well and causing a little bit of fear and loathing amongst parents and I guess some of the school kids as well. Very, very interesting as we go about our business and, uh, and have I a look at... I think it's adding to, adding to calls for, uh, for kids, young kids from five and up getting to be vaccinated. I think the federal government has talked about this. They're saying that they want to wait for some additional information from overseas and from here, from the for Therapeutic Goods Administration and, and other bodies to uh, to make sure it's safe, to sort of certify that it's safe to proceed with that. But I think it's a reduced dose they're talking about, so it might be a third of the adult dose, but that's, that's a definite recommendation. Also, I think from elsewhere in the world, that uh, five years and over do get vaccinated because that's schools remain a, a place that uh, transmission can happen otherwise. Indeed, and it seems to be happening here quite regularly at the moment as well because in our local news bulletin, of course, we've been monitoring over the last couple of days a couple of those outbreaks. And as you say, Piers, I think the uh, USA medical authorities over there are now getting very close indeed to insisting that uh, the younger crew do get those vaccinations. Now, just let's, moving our uh, view overseas for a moment, looks like um, the Medicines Patent Pool, which is a UN-backed organisation, has had some stern words with Pfizer, which looks like it's going to be making some serious money out of what it's been doing in terms of vaccines over this financial year and next as well. I mean, earning in in the realms of billions of dollars, up to $36 billion for this year alone, and it looks like they're putting pressure on them to maybe uh, make some of their products free for use. Yeah, that's right. So there's a COVID-19 antiviral pill, which Pfizer has and which Merck also has. Uh, that's another drug company. And uh, Pfizer has agreed to expand low-cost access to that antiviral pill throughout the developing world, where it's you know it's a really good idea because it's much easier in in a developing country without a lot of uh, great infrastructure and without a great uh, hospital resources or even the ability to keep the Pfizer vaccine, the injectable one, at 70 degrees below uh, below uh, zero centigrade. Uh, a pill is a really handy way to to address the COVID-19 uh, virus, and that's exactly what's happening. So they have agreed to uh, expand low-cost access there for the, for the uh, developing world. That's a really great step in the right direction. And uh, without doing that, we do run the risk, the world runs the risk that uh, you'll have these uh, nasty variants popping up in, uh, in countries that don't have much protection from, from any kind of antiviral or, or specific uh, vaccine, whether injected or by, uh, by oral pills. So it's a, it's a step in the right direction. Indeed. And the other incredible stat, I'm not sure whether you saw it, uh, that I came across uh, over the last couple of days, Piers, was um, you know, the so-called sort of developed and advanced European cities or, or countries of Switzerland, Austria and Germany, about 30% of the population have not been inoculated against COVID-19. They're running some 
serious problems over there at the moment as a new wave sweeps through these countries in Europe and forcing governments to insist on, on further lockdowns. It's, it seems an extraordinary, right. extraordinary yeah, number. So Austria, which has one of the lowest inoculation rates in Western Europe, may announce a nationwide lockdown for the unvaccinated or those that haven't recently recovered from the illness. That's according to the Austrian Chancellor Alexander Schallenberg. You know, it's kind of the opposite to the lockdowns that we're having. I mean, similar to the effect, but but only for those. It's like a lockhouse. And they've had them up in the Northern Territory. They're sort of saying, well, if you want to go to the pub, you're only allowed in if you're, if you're vaccinated. So we're going a step further in these countries that are really only about 70% double vaxxed or even lower. Uh, they're sort of saying, well, we can't allow this to keep going. And uh, unless you're vaccinated, you're going to be locked down. So tough, but really... Um, driving those incentives for people to get vaccinated, especially those who are sitting on the fence. But it, be, it, beg, it, begs, it begs the question, though, Piers, what the hell have the Europeans been doing? I really thought they would have been on their game a little bit smarter than that. Yeah, I know. It is surprising. These are countries that, you know, have got very educated populations. They're, they're sort of high-tech societies. They're wealthy countries. They've had plenty of um, chance to be educated or to get information about the benefits of vaccinations. And it makes you realise that we're lucky in Australia that we've got a population that is prepared, that trusts the authorities to the extent that they do and, and uh, is prepared to get vaccinated. Of course, there is a hard core, and they reckon it's probably about 5% of the Australian population at the end of, you know, probably early next year for the whole country, including places like Western Australia. And it may be even earlier than that. It might be by Christmas. But we're going to get to 95%. That's, that's going to be way ahead of uh, a lot of places you'd expect to be at that sort of level as well. Yeah, the Germans apparently freaking out because their intensive care units are under increasing pressure and uh, medical authorities over there saying that 90% of those being treated are unvaccinated. Extraordinary numbers coming out of Europe. It's really surprised me, something amazing. Um, yeah, and, and I was just going to say that, you know, I've spoken to people we know who've actually got COVID and it's really, really encouraging because the symptoms they describe, like a bad cold, you know, or a bit of a headache and feels like a virus, but it doesn't feel like something that you're going to go to hospital for. They're at home, they're doing the right thing, they're isolating. It's, but the symptoms are, are, are so much less than they w could be if they weren't vaccinated. And I think that's, that's a really key message for people who aren't vaccinated or a bit of hesitancy still there. These vaccines actually do a lot of good. It's not a joke, it's not a myth. The other interesting thing, Piers, I'm not sure whether you saw uh, the extraordinary amount of money that the super rich are now being able to invest. I mean, money is cheap at the moment. We've heard a lot about that. And, of course, flight schedule's not back to normal yet and travel is still a little bit difficult. So what do you do? You either buy yourself a super yacht or you buy yourself or lease your own uh, private jet. It's yeah, so private jets, that industry is uh, at, at boom times. Uh, as it is for the makers for super yachts. There's a $500 million yacht called Flying Fox owned by Jeff Bezos. It's being made by a Dutch company, Ocean Co., which is a big super yacht manufacturer. Apparently, that's wow. Holland is the, the main place for the building of super yachts. Wow. Business is booming. That yacht costs $60 million a year just to operate, and wow. Bezos has ordered a second one which has helicopter pads on it because the uh, the main flying fox, uh, over 400 feet long, it's more like a ship than a yacht. It's got four giant masts, so there's no room for a helicopter to land, but uh, 
he and his girlfriend have both got pilot's license, I believe, and, and, uh, so they can have a, a separate second yacht just uh, in the background so they can land their choppers easily. So the second yacht will be like a tender to the main yacht. So he goes yeah. sort of cruising around the world and he's got this tender that can he can land his helicopters on. So and he the can... tender would be a super yacht to most people. Wow. How much, how much is his big yacht? What would you say? $500 million for the flying box. And, 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 and to run it annually? $60 million US dollars a year to operate it. Goodness gracious me. Unbelievable. And so you're telling us that super yachts are in big demand at the moment, Pierce, as there's a run yeah, on massive. them. Because, because the benefit is safety and isolation amid the plague. So you can go there with your friends, you get everyone tested before they, before they get on board and the crew's all inoculated and, and uh, tested as well. And then you're pretty much can travel the world and enjoy the sights in splendid isolation and safety. And I think there's, there's something like 30 guest rooms, luxury suites on board that Flying Fox super yacht for all his friends. And there's multiple dining rooms, there's spas, you know, I mean, the cinemas. It's just unbelievable what it's got on board. It's like a sort of mini city. Goodness gracious, Mr. Bezos. <laughs> I, w- I wonder whether he's going to have a parabolic on top of his super yacht uh, looking at uh, Mr. Musk's Starlink so that he can stay in touch with the world. Yeah. Starlink That's a rivalry is... there. And, and, uh, and in fact, uh, you know, he's, gone, he's been relegated to second position as wealthiest man in the world by Elon Musk, whose uh, who's shareholdings in, uh, in uh, Tesla uh, made him... I mean, I think he's, like, he's well ahead of Bezos now. Wow. And... Uh, yeah, just going from strength to strength, um, doing very well in the space area as well. I want to get on board Mr Bezos' super yacht. I want him, want him to drop me off in the Cook Islands so I can practice my handstands in the waters of the lagoon over there. That would be very nice, <laughs> wouldn't it? Um, Piers Cunningham, thank you very much indeed. COVID-19, we're close to that 90% mark here locally. We can dream of the super rich, wait for Powerball to come around, and who knows, maybe we can go and get our own super yacht or a bit of, bit of tender action or something, hey? Indeed, yeah. Can I can I just mention in closing, Brendan, that um, I was in I was in town on Saturday and I was amongst all those demonstrators. Really? And I must say, yeah, they were they were, I wasn't part of it. I was actually trying to find a restaurant, but they were well behaved. There that's it, that's, in, that's interesting, Piers, because depending on which sort of press you you read, they were a group of sort of radical miscreants who were going to mm-hmm. do civilization down. No, I don't. That's not the feeling that I had at all. I think they were, you know, there were elements more vocal than others. And it was a, a kind of a motley collection of, of different interest groups. A lot of them were opposed to the legislation that's before the upper house. Uh, that's the pandemic powers, which are very controversial. They've been criticised by uh, several groups, including the Victorian Bar, the Victorian Chamber of Commerce, Liberty Victoria, the state ombudsman, many cross-bench MPs, and of course the Liberal opposition. And government has bowed to the pressure from these groups and amended the legislation. And so there are there are some people who are saying, well, that's a that's a big step in the right direction. There have been some improvements made, what's regarded by many as improvements in response to that pressure of those demonstrators, which is democracy at work. You're allowed to demonstrate in a, in a country like Australia. You don't get arrested. You don't get pilloried by politicians. You're allowed to express yourself. And my impression overall was that people were doing just that. And then, of course, there's a few fringe groups like anti-vaxxers and maybe some right-wing groups thrown in there, but I didn't actually see any right-wing groups. It's mainly anti-vaxxers and people critical of lockdowns and the new legislation, the pandemic legislation, which the government's trying to get through. But uh, Premier Dan is very unrepentant, 
saying it's not about popularity, it's about what's right for public safety. Mm, indeed. Well, it's very interesting, of course, because up until only a couple of weeks ago, those people would have been prohibited from uh, expressing their political will that way because we, of course, still do endure emergency powers here in the state. And uh, they, as you say, are being examined at the moment in the upper house. It will be very interesting to see what reforms and or changes we might uh, see introduced in that legislation in the next uh, couple of days or so. Yep, P- indeed. Piers Cunningham, always good to talk with you. Thank you very much indeed for your time today, your input and your research. We appreciate it, and uh, maybe we can book you again for next week. Pleasure, Brendan. Sounds good. Speak to you then. Good on you. Thank you very much indeed. Our special COVID-19 reporter, Piers Cunningham, gets to grips with all the facts.